1: You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander public radio.
0: Here.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your editor, D.B. Spitzer, and along with me are my wickedly cool co-hosts to my virtual right. Uh, actually, no, this week, virtual top and bottom. I. Uh, that sounds bad. Um, Gretchen, Dave, how are you doing this week?
3: I am well. Good to hear. <laughs> I'm doing great. It's been a busy, busy week—whirlwind of a week. I'm so glad it's the end of the week.
2: Oh yeah, no, it's yeah. it's it's been a weird last seven days since we last recorded. We had oh no, no, it's been no, it's, fourteen days since last recorded. Yeah, cause we
3: were—we did a panel instead of a recording.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no, we've. Uh, I, We both, uh, Gretchen and I, both did the VIP for the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. I volunteered, was a vendor and a guest, and both of you were guests. And Gretchen, did you do any other volunteer work uh, for the oh. Lovecraft Festival other than the VIP dinner?
3: No. They tried to ring me back in, but I resisted. <laughs> I said, no, I will not be a room captain at this movie. I want to go see something else. All right. All right. I got to Did- see. Um, I re- I'm really stoked. Honestly, besides our rad, our really fun panel, that was a lot of fun. We got a lot of good feedback. People yes. messaged me afterwards. It was really great. Um, beyond that, I got to see some really cool stuff, man. I got to see, um, Robert, uh, Perry do, um, Blackwood's The Willows. Read yes. the Blackwood's the Willows. Oh my gosh, How, that was, he was—he's incredible in general, right? Because like his Mr. James stuff is always on, like yeah. on point. But yes. seeing him do this, wow! And then we somehow accidentally caught the end of um, the Doom. that came to Sarnath, mm-hmm. and because um, we we're waiting for our panel time, and also I got to see Spoilers.
4: Sarnath was
3: <laughs> doomed. Yeah, right. Sorry guys, <laughs> just saying. Um, but no, um, the the. The one I cut the cot earlier was Andrew from the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society reading The Cats of Uther
4: Ooh. and Beyond
3: the Veil of Sleep. Oh my God. That's Andrew
2: Lehman's so, cool. He is
3: so cool. It was so good. It was so, so good. Yeah, I didn't see him around. Did away. he shave his beard or something? Or Yeah, he totally shaved his beard off. I, I didn't oh. recognize him at first. I was all like, I don't know who this is. That's a great voice. <laughs>
2: I was making a joke because I was like, I did not see him around. Did he, like, take his glasses off or shave? Okay.
3: I wow. Think beard, okay. He looked really different, but I think he also was, like, only there for one day. He sounded okay. worse when he was doing his reading. Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh.
3: So he might have only been there for one day, but I was really, I feel very lucky that I got to see that on Saturday.
0: Yeah, very much so, very much
2: so.
3: You guys had a bunch of panels, didn't you?
2: Oh, um, I only had two panels this year. Normally I have somewhere between five and six, but because of the fact that uh, we don't have an uh, EOD uh, this year, and also I was so busy with Kickstarter... Uh, Vendor captain, floor captain, uh, like, I was in charge of a bunch of stuff this year. Uh, Ended up, like, being the captain of the meet-and-greet on Friday. And also, like, the caterer for the VIP dinner. Oh, man, I'm trying to think of everything that I did for (laughs) Quinn.
3: You did a lot, dude.
4: (laughs) I might have had more panels if I didn't accidentally copy over my form and only submit one.
3: Oh yeah.
4: but that's okay. Save them for next year.
3: Yeah. Right?
4: Yeah, no, definitely. Well you
3: and I, David, got to go to that poetry reading over at Sam's very warm poetry reading. But yes. we had a good time. There was a or wasn't a it poetry reading? it was just like short stories, right? Short stories.
4: I I, I, I did not see a single
3: movie. Oh, oh yeah. But <laughs> I got to the, see the, one. Save I, 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 I went to fourteen I went was... to fourteen author readings. Fourteen? Yep. Wow.
4: Well, yeah. it was like five, and each had average three authors, so fourteen <laughs> separate still, authors.
3: still, you made please. to five things. Generally, that's that's pretty good, man.
2: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, I only make it to five things if I'm in five things. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the coolest things uh, I saw this weekend. Uh, actually, the only thing I saw this weekend. Was although Andrew Migliori was not part of the festival this year, we got to have a secret. Uh, we we got to watch the secret viewing of uh, the the Dagon song that um, Dagon Super Beast. I think it's called. I can't quite remember, mm-hmm. but it's one of those. It's like. You clap along with it at the end of uh, movies at Sunday night. It's one of these secret showings. It's like if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. I shouldn't be talking about this even. I think I might be. You uh, you
3: might be breaking the rules. I forgot to tell you the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk (laughs) about Fight Club.
4: First, first rule of Dagon singing: you don't talk about Dagon.
3: Yeah, there's been many secret viewings in the past that have been pretty interesting.
2: Um, I had to, like, uh, introduce a lot of people to the clapping pattern, which is, like, not necessarily um, instinctual.
3: Is it uh, it non-Euclidean?
2: It's a (laughs) non-Euclidean clapping pattern. And there was a (laughs) handful of people that were there to, like, help me out with this. But, yeah, no. And then I had to, like, step around the corner until people got it. Because, like, I, I felt like the old lady at uh, midnight mass that everyone watches to see when she stands, sits, and kneels. Mm. If 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 that applies to anyone out there who's listening. But yeah, no, no. There's, there's rituals to things, but you have to learn the ritual yourself and maybe change it, whatever. Anyway, that's how it goes. But yeah, no, uh, this weekend was great. I had an awesome time. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk oh, about. No. We're yeah. talking about a doom. We're here to talk about uh, a place or things or uh, angles. As as we are curves, they are angles. We're here to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get going. Hey everyone, we are now talking about hounds. Of Tindalos? No, we're not talking about Hounds of Tindalos. We're just talking about Tindalos in general.
3: Which there's not a lot of info on just Tindalos. I only know Tindalos as the Hounds of Tindalos or Hound of Tindalos.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We're we're definitely talking about fictional creatures that Frank Belknap Long created back in like uh, the 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 very late twenties, nineteen twenty nine. Yeah, and and also one of my first, my very first introductions to the Cthulhu mythos was The Hounds of Tindalos in a book that was released in the late 70s that someone read aloud to me, or a bunch of kids in my neighborhood, uh, to get him, uh, to, he read it to get people off of his front porch. He was a, a college student who was, uh, like, trying to hang out on his front porch with a bunch of, like, little kids being like, oh, my God, you live in this house. This place is great. Oh, my God. Uh, We remember you back when you were older or younger. And, like, he's like, I'm in college now. Go away. And then, like, read scary stuff to us. And a bunch of kids ran away, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. Wow. And that was my introduction to the Cthulhu Mythos in, like, 81.
3: Man, that's wild. Yeah. You couldn't do that crap these days, but yeah, you shouldn't yeah. at least do that crap these days. You shouldn't. Uh, but I was going to say, hear me out. This may be a hot take, but like everything that people think about Lovecraft mythos that isn't Cthulhu is this ding ding story. And it's not by H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. You want oh, no, no. Right. to know why?
2: Full Long is awesome and created really cool stuff.
3: Right, on top of that, the reason why I say, "Hear me out and hot take because okay, so the phrase I can see everything, angles and curves, like that yeah. phrase is so like um, how to put like um, it's just it and it, 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 it incorporates the entirety of like what people think lovecraft mythos is gonna be like the I can see everything, oh and God, that's why yeah. I feel like this was like for real, I. Did not realize that the Hound of Tindalos was not a Lovecraft story. Honestly, oh okay. I've always thought it was Lovecraft's property, and then when I went to reread it, I was like, "Oh, it's not Lovecraft."
2: Yeah. No, he just mentions it in whispers and darkness, and then yeah. uh, Derelith just kind of like made it part of all of the mythos. But yeah, no, no, it's it's not a true Lovecraftian entity. I am empathy. so ignorant. Yeah.
3: I literally, I've always thought, I just never went to read the story, honestly. Mm. Uh Uh I I
4: just hadn't. And Hapland uh, Chalmers Uh is such a classic Lovecraft character. Oh, yeah. Definitely.
3: This is wild to me, like, how much this crossover happened during this time period for, Mm -hmm. especially with Lovecraft's, like, friends and mythos friends, I guess. Like, were these guys buddies? Did they know each other?
2: Oh, they hung out. There's photos of them, like, uh, hanging out on the street and stuff like that. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, these guys were, like, bros. and and They definitely wrote. They definitely wrote,
4: too.
2: But they totally have hung out in real life. There's, like, photos of uh, Frank and uh, Howie hanging out in the same
4: street. That's wild. I think they were both in New York at the same time. Yeah.
3: Hmm. Yeah, because I honestly, just because of how this story is written, I've heard excerpts of this story. Mm -hmm. I guess I just never had read it from its beginning to end. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I literally have always just thought this was a Lovecraft story. I mean, seriously. no, I
2: I thought the same thing for a long time myself. It
3: feels like a Lovecraft story from start to finish.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that Frank Belknap Long is a better writer than Lovecraft. I
3: know what I was going to say. I really like it better. That was the hot take. <laughs> yeah, no, I
2: don't feel like it's a hot take. It's like, I feel like Lovecraft had good ideas, but wasn't the greatest writer. I mean, uh, his editors felt that way. It's like, no, you have to type this shit up, dude. You can't just write it in longhand and send it in. You have to type this up, edit your own stuff. Use bigger words, and he's like, I'll show you bigger words. I'll get a thesaurus and use words like
3: squamous.
2: But yeah, <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's well, my beyond heart. that, Like, so <laughs> if this if is there anything that isn't Tindalus that isn't the hound that is Tindalus that isn't the hound of Tindalus, because I can't seem to find information the stating of Thank otherwise. you
4: for asking. Yeah, the, they... the, here's where Dave comes in. Dave. So the next gets picked up, actually, in the 70s and the 80s by Lumley. Yep. And Titus Crows, uh, transi- or the transition of Titus Crow, where Titus is flying around in his time clock, and he starts getting chased by the ten- by the Tendalosians and their lords. And in this case, Tendalos is basically this city, dimension, Sort of entire cities, maybe more than one cities, maybe all tied together, that are chasing him because he's going through time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the hounds of Tindalos, Long never describes them. He just calls them the hounds. So in Lumley's versions, they're actually like giant bats. Mm -hmm. And they're only Mm -hmm. called hounds because they get their scent. They chase you like a dog.
3: Yes, because you got the scent of him, as he was saying in the story.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, they found the scent of me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. No, um, but... And it
3: also makes that that hentai I have make way more sense now, too. <laughs> 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 Just singing.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it
3: does. She's got proboscises and stuff. <laughs>
4: yeah. Now, Sandy Peterson has always, in in the Chaosium stuff, has always had him drawn his dogs. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, it's,
2: um, they're, they're always kind of like, like, uh, not necessarily like thought of as like literal hounds, but in, in, in like literature, how we think of hounds and of course, how we think of very specific hounds written by, uh, Conan Doyle. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle.
3: I think of the t- the Hounds of tendulous more like how we think of, like, how we think of sea dragons being not dragons. Or uh, yeah. seahorses, I mean, yeah. being yeah. not yeah. seahorses. Like, to me, that's what I kind of envision a little bit. Like, yeah. that kind of vaguely canine-ish in the, like drawing a canine with your eyes closed and on a board for like a game that's how i picture the hound of tindalos looking yeah
2: but I, I think of like hounds of tindalos is more like kind of like what they do is what we expect hounds to do
3: mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. they
2: seek and they hunt yeah and yeah and that's 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 their main function it's like they could have called them i don't know seeker hunters of tindalos but,
3: but- are the people How of Tindalos what are they are the te- people of Tindalos is tindalos a place or is tindalos um a person or a type of monsters or i'm, I'm that's the part i so wasn't Tindalus, quite sure from what you're saying here's, here's the Dave Tindalus part
4: according to lumley is a city maybe multiple ah. cities maybe all dem- c- connected that travels through time
3: ah and so it's a they're they're the hounds of a place.
4: Yes, and That's... the masters of Tendalos. We the next step comes in about early two thousands from Chaosium, and they published a collection of basically the ultimate twenty first century uh, called Cthulhu module called the Unseen Masters, uh-huh. and one of them it, it's stories is called. The Wild Hunt, which basically you investigate murders in New York's vampire goth BSDM uh, circuit, written by people who probably know nothing about vampires, goth, or BSDM. Uh, And then they have Tendalosians as the creatures behind it are the masters, and they're Again, no pictures, they're not really described, vaguely humanoid, part this dimension, part not. Mm. And they are led by a Tendalosian who is kind of the big boss. And he has a name that has a lot of M's and a lot of letters that <laughs> is not congruent to English. Uh, name as their mm. the lord and and they he's not again he's they don't he's not chaosium who loves to basically codify the undescribable, you know they don't have him as a god or anything they as a separate entity and they not only travel through time but they can come and make hybrid humans uh uh, uh, Tendalosians. So they basically take this... I don't want to spoil it for people who are going to play the game, but they take one of the humans and make him this mutation.
0: And That's what they do version, in the manga.
4: They're, <laughs> yeah, they're not just chasing him because of time travels. They actually suck off human energy as a food source. <laughs> hey,
3: just like <laughs> the manga.
4: Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. and, and the because th- the thing that chaosium again is always trying to tie together, and this actually uh, uh, the Hounds of Tendalos came out you know five or six years before the Shadow Out of Time. Uh huh. But there's still no reference to e- the Yithians in Tendalos, and there's no use, reference to the Hounds of Tendalos in the Shadows Out of Time. So it's always been that the Yithians can travel through time undetected. Somehow.
3: Well, they kind okay. of are like the spice travelers from Dune because apparently they use a psychedelic drug to um, bend time and space.
4: Which is kind of what Chaplin's doing, though, in Hounds of Tindalos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's he's a psychic traveler. Um, yeah, I
3: thought that was pretty funny. I was when I was reading that, I was like, oh, so he's like he's got the spice. And it's a little racist, but okay, time period. We're taking sure. that. Yeah. But man, alive, that's a great story. And mm-hmm. man, thanks for the. I didn't. I had I really Dave and DB. I really, truly thought this whole time until today that this, or till yesterday, so that that this was a Lovecraftian tale, or Lovecraft. I, I think tale. a
4: lot of people
2: do. Yeah, yeah. But that's, here's the thing. It's Better than a Lovecraft tale. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we run across anything that's Frank Belknap long, it's like someone's like, wait a minute, I thought this was Lovecraft. And then well, it's I like. I like
3: it's like very mandala effect though at this point. Yeah. Like I was like, I truly, I, I was, I mean, you could have, you would have been like, hey, Gretchen, what does this story come from? I'm like, oh yeah, Lovecraft, move on. And then I honestly had no idea.
2: <laughs> I mean, in wow. some ways, yeah, it does come from Lovecraft. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, 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 there were people who were writing this stuff separately, but then when they all found out about each other, they all kind of copied from each other openly and are like, yeah, no, this is a shared universe. So, yeah, it and, is. yeah, and crap. encouraged
4: it. They definitely encouraged it. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, now. So,
2: I, I want to spill some tea, not oh, about Hounds yeah. of Tyndalos, but of. Uh, Brian Lumley? Like, there's this meme out there of, like, the person who, like, you know, uh, grabs the champagne, kisses the girl, and, like, bites the trophy, and then you find out it's third place. Yes, or, or...
4: yes, yeah, stick figure, kind of.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, that is Brian Lumley. He was awarded... A uh, an award in like I want to say 2008 or nine at the Lovecraft Festival, and he got up there and he like grabbed Cthulhu girl, swooped her back, moved her tentacles, kissed her on the mouth. Which uh, I, from talking to Cthulhu girl was just he got a mouthful of fabric.
3: Yeah, then, it was totally like, inappropriate.
2: And I didn't know about this part, but I was outside waiting for my ride, and his wife is covering her face, like, being like, I can't believe I just... And he's like, "Woo!" Running to a taxi, holding his Lovecraft award, holding it out the window, going, "Woo!" The whole time. And I'm like, what in the fuck did I just witness? And now that I've heard more of the story, like... Yeah, no. Lumley is 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 like third place winner that just <laughs>
4: is He
3: out was of touch. he was very excited, it sounds like. He was like.
2: very excited. <laughs> he was very excited to win something that Yeah, anyway. But that's <laughs> That's how of Tindalos everyone.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is it more is there to say, other than like we could continue going on about like Lovecraft's legacy of like stories and that don't aren't actually his, but everybody thinks are his
2: everyone thinks are his, yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: no, but no, yeah, I've no. learned a lesson every I mean, i that's one thing I love about me on this podcast is like I thought I had more knowledge, and oh yeah, woo, yeah, Boy, yeah. do I give myself schools on a weekly basis?
2: Same here. I do, too. And I've been, like, covering this stuff for years, and I'm always learning new stuff. It's great. And and I Absolutely. hope the listeners are learning new stuff.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, what's the next part? So we are going to discuss, we being mm-hmm. me and the audience, and of course, listen on. Oh, definitely. How Catherine Ann Porter... A writer of the 1930s, actually up into the 70s, Americana, not a horror writer, wrote what I think is the best cosmic horror tale, in the ironically entitled The Jilting of Granny Weatherall. Ooh. Ooh. My favorite uh, non-mythos
2: mythos story involves a yellow wallpaper, but that's, that's me.
4: <laughs> that sounds like Chambers to me. It's not. It's fine
3: Now is that willows story.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. That's
2: a beautiful story. I love that one so much. Gosh. One of these days, I want to travel those lands in a uh, a a Viking riverboat cruise. (laughs) I mean, that's 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 my plan for my retirement, actually. But.
3: (laughs) But.
4: Being a Viking on a riverboat.
2: Yes, in my in my I I I in my dreams I'm a Viking. I, I'm Are a Viking. You're all dreams.
1: In Legacy Door, a lurker from space casts a shadow over time. We opened our eyes upon the human world. We found ourselves lying on an especially yielding bed in a room displaying scattered relics of their shallow past, tied together by more recently produced items meant to blend with the relics. Typical. A sensitive journalist
0: dreams of unknown lives. It seems like every time I close my eyes they get stronger.
1: I can't even say the last time I had a normal sleep, let alone a dreamless one. An outspoken lawyer defends the suspect in an unspeakable crime. And that client was Jonathan Strauss, held for the murder of his daughter Abigail and her companion Harrison Reese and a stalwart investigator tries to drag it all into the light. Some of the Reeses and the Strausses have been involved with something that seems to include an obsession with bloodlines and longevity for at least decades. Legacy Door is a weekly cosmic horror mystery podcast. An ensemble of actors tell a story, also available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Available now.
0: I want to tell you all about something, I want to tell you about a guy I know, and a place, this is Dave's Corner of the Podcast, it is awesome, it's gonna go fast, it's not the interview pod, ha ha!
4: Hey everybody, Dave, everyone. It's me, Farmer Dave. And while Gretchen and DB get themselves ready for part three, because they care about you and do their best, I thought maybe I would sit around and talk to you a little bit about what I think is the greatest representation of cosmic horror. And you may find that, find it surprising that I don't think that the greatest cosmic horror story or the story that most filled me with dread in a cosmic level was not Lovecraft, it wasn't Robert Bloch. wasn't even Robert E. Howard. It was written by Catherine Ann Porter, and it is The Jilting of Granny Wetherall. Now, before we can deep dive into this, just unrecognized tome of you know cosmic dread i guess we should discuss a few things so here's why i think cosmic horror is so cosmic and horrible the concept is that the universe isn't trying to kill you as much as the universe doesn't care if you live or die. So it's not it's not deliberately trying to kill you, but it's not the universe's fault that you have to breathe oxygen and can't breathe in space, or live on the sun, or that Australia has evolved animals that want to eat you. No, it just doesn't care. And an indifferent universe is, I think, even scarier than a malignant universe. At least in the malignant universe, it notices you. It has a reason to maybe want to take you out. But in the universe of cosmic horror, it just doesn't care. You could live, you could win the scenario, make it to the end of the credits. universe doesn't care. You're going to die eventually. And that is the meta-level horror of cosmic horror, Lovecraftian writing. So why would this woman, whose face has been on a stamp, who won the National Book Award, the Pulitzer Prize for Literature, was even nominated, though she didn't win, the Nobel Prize for Literature, who focuses mainly on Americana and changing America, Why, how did she write a classic of cosmic horror? Now, I had mentioned in a panel recently, we had about 30 people in attendance, that I thought the jilting of Granny Weatherall was the truest form of cosmic horror ever written by a person who's, like I said, mainly known for Americana writing, not, not horror in any way. And I was shocked because there was about 30 people. Apparently, nobody had ever read this story. I mean, I don't know how you guys survived the 11th grade without having not having to read this story. The only thing that was more traumatic in my scholastic career... Then this story was the time that a bunch of junior high school jocks decided to, I was a target of opportunity, decided to pound on me in the bathroom. A product of, you know, California public school. And when we were the, way it was set up, at least everyone I knew, 11th grade, you know, okay, freshman and sophomore yeah, there was some literature, but we focused mainly on grammar and spelling. In the eleventh grade, we focused on English on um, on American literature, and then in the twelfth grade, we focused on English literature. And we had this khaki, tannish, uh, literature book that I know from friends of mine. Younger, you know, siblings, that they were still using that book for at least two decades after I had graduated, and one of the stories, like I said, was the Jilting of Granny Weatherall. So, real quick, it's only an eight-page story. It's public domain, as far as I know. It's definitely online; you can read it for free. But um, basically this grandma in rural, you know, United, South United States is dying. And so her family comes together with the doctor and they start going through her things. And they discover that Granny had a secret life they didn't know about. And that fact she was madly, passionately in love with this man named George that they had never heard of who literally left her at the altar uh, completely abandoned her and eventually she would marry another man John who was sort of this he was a good man but didn't really have that passion a more traditional farmer's 19th tw- late 19th century early 20th century relationship they had a son who died. Um, and now... She, she's dying. And, and her family found these records. And, and they're shocked. You know, that, that Grandma was... You know, dumped at the altar. And that she'd never... She'd kept this a secret. And then... She's about... I mean, she's lying in her deathbed. And she looks up and she sees death. And then after a while... She realizes it's not death. It's just her imagination playing tricks in her mind. And then, you know, she dreams of, of you know, being back with her her, her dead son and husband and, and even meeting again in the afterlife this George, this man who devastated her but that she couldn't stop loving. And then it dawns on her. It's not true. That there is nothing. And that when... You know, sheep dies, she's going to cease to exist. And her memories and her love is going to cease to exist. And she gets real angry before blowing out the light and everything going dark. Wow, this writer who like I said is not a horror writer nailed the scale of cosmic horror and that this that there is no savior there is no afterlife there is no reward for being a good person and sacrificing and the anger that she felt at the end and and like I said I think this is the best example of cosmic horror. You know, as I was saying um, in the panel, where I was saying, you know, I was talking to a therapist. This was at a party, not in therapy, but where she basically says that there's this theory going on that this fear of death is so Per- pervasive, so overriding that it's in us, it never leaves us, and it controls our actions and our thoughts, even though we're not consciously aware of it. And that is this mythos this that Lovecraft created, this mythic fear that is inside us. That the un- there is nothing but the universe. And the universe doesn't care about you. The universe is not this benign loving father. But it's also not Satan. I mean if you believed in Satan that's kind of reassuring. That there are higher powers. Some of what we are told is true. That there will be at least existence after this world. But in this universe of Lovecraft, this much more realistic universe of Catherine and Porter, and maybe even the universe you and I are occupying right now, there is no answers. There is only death and entropy. And our regrets are going to end when we die, but we're going to carry them. And that's some heavy stuff. And that's scary stuff. And I remember, you know, 11th grade, this was like prime ADD time for me. And I had this, I would read, and I'd be jumping and bouncing all the place. I loved to read, but I'd be bouncing all over the place. And I kind of missed this whole point about George, but I locked in that last page and I fully got what Porter was saying. But the next day when we discussed this with the class, I would say a good 50% of the class, maybe more, maybe 75% of the class, did not understand what Porter was saying. That they, they thought it was this sort of strange sort of story about a grandma whose first love disappeared. But they had difficulty accepting the fact that this story is saying there is no afterlife. And, and I have to admit, I reread it for this, and so my Mandela effect kicked in. And I thought that everything went black in the story. And it's more symbolic that it's going to go black when she blows out the light lying in bed. But this class that I was in, this a bunch of 11, 11th graders, you know, 16, 17-year-olds, they couldn't understand. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying what Porter was saying is that there is this agnostic, uncaring world. And they got, and they understood the part about the love of your life not showing up. But they really didn't understand, for the most part, what Porter was saying about the ending. And that's because I, th- I feel it's such a heavy, powerful, overriding fear that they might have grasped the words but especially at that age when you're you know, undestructible and if you have faith the faith is undeniable, the faith is undestructible that they didn't understand this principal challenge to the way that the universe is perceived by them, and that is the whole purpose of Cosmic Horror, that it challenges, I mean, honestly, the first purpose is that it entertains. The second is that it challenges us on this notion of what the universe is and reality. All right, well, I, I, like I said, this book is free online. I would recommend anyone to read it. And now that you know, after you listen to this, I would suggest that you um, you know, consider it with a cosmic horror slant. Well, it looks like DB and Gretchen are about ready to return, so uh, let's talk about a movie.
2: All right. Um, moving on to the next part. Just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing. Like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook. We're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We're on Twitter. I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason. You can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there, of course, Facebook, Instagram, And, of course, the YouTube where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah.
0: Hey, everyone. It's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices? Free shipping? 100% quality guarantee. Glary's got you covered. Guitars bass guitars, mandolins. They've got saxophones, trumpets, drums. They've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20-watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80 guitars themselves for under ninety dollars come on folks check out the show notes get a glary this part of the show doesn't have a theme song this part of the show doesn't have a theme song yeah dave and db and you go to the movies
3: hopefully next week we'll have a real theme song
2: All right, hello everyone. It is the doom that came to Gotham, the film, the comic book, the film. How are we all doing? Uh, I
3: really liked this. Yeah?
2: Um, yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay, I'm I'm the least I feel like I'm the least knowledgeable about Batman's universe. Go for but, it. Okay, first time I watched it, I fell asleep and I was like, damn. Second time I tried to watch it, I was I got lost about halfway through and was like, I could not think, could not grasp that this was an alternate universe. And then the third time I watched it, I completely fell in love with every moment of it because I was able to understand that these they're only using them by name alone. Yes. And that's it. Yep. It's nobody else. And that it's actually not. Any specific Lovecraft story, but actually just a bunch of Lovecraftian aspects.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. It's
3: so pretty- it took me three tries to watch it and really enjoy it. But the first, like I said, the first time I was like, boom, asleep. And the second time, yeah, you know, I had trouble because I kept trying to assign them their characters in the DC universe that I was familiar with. Oh, And gotcha. so that kept I kept being like, well, why would? I, I You know, I just couldn't couldn't grasp why certain characters were together. And sure. the third time I saw it, I just completely fell in love and was heartbroken by the deaths of Grayson. Yes. And
2: yeah.
3: and um Sanjay.
2: Yeah. Except no. Spoiler. No, anytime Jason There'll Todd dies, I'm a little bummed out.
3: Oh wait, wait! This movie only just came out. Shit! That's I'm sorry. Cool. I, we should spoiler. We should have spoiler alert this a while back.
2: This is based off of a comic book that came out uh, in November two thousand to January uh, two thousand one. Um, spoiler alerts galore, um, but I mean. It's set in 1920s uh, Bruce Wayne. I mean, like, part of me is like, spoiler alert, but also the other part of me is like, if you like Batman, you should have probably already read this comic book. But anyway, it. I have feelings about spoiler alerts on this. Yeah. So, so if you've read Lovecraft, if you're familiar with the Batman franchise, you can see stuff coming a mile away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: But I do like how they, uh, in the cartoon, they change up the gender and race of the Robins. It's not just Jason Todd, Dick Grayson, um, the other one,
3: Stephanie, or whatever her name is.
2: Oh no, no, no. I'm, I, I'm thinking about um, Tim Kane. No.
4: No, Tim. Tim yeah, Todd. Tim. No, uh, it's Jason Todd and the other Tim. Yeah, I'll, I'll think it up.
3: Yeah, yeah, you guys know Batman. I do not. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they get, and that's
4: one of the few things because I sat there with the book uh-huh. and I watched all the way through. And it's about 80 to 90% copy for of Magnolia's work. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: No, oh. no, definitely. This was
3: Magnola's work? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no wonder it had that like that look to it. That that
2: Hellboyish thing to it, yeah. yeah no, and it has one of my favorite DC characters of all time, uh, Etrigan, uh, Jason He's Blood. so cool. Oh yeah, yeah, no. I
3: only know him from. Um, okay, so my my experience with like DC and dark like is with the um, well, first of all, Vertigo, uh-huh. and then second of all, I do like the Dark Justice League stuff.
2: Sure, yeah. No, it's going to be like, Gretchen knows about Entrigan probably through Constantine. Or... Yes,
3: I was to say, Constantine is one of my favorite characters, but I love Entrigan <laughs> because he's such a fun character talking in, you know, talking in rhyme. Yeah. It,
4: it, yeah. It's Tim Drake, by the way. What's oh, that? Oh, Tim Drake. Tim, Tim Drake. Drake,
3: yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's his kid, right? That's his, like, child one.
2: No, that's no. Damian.
3: That's, that's, that's Damien. Damien. Yeah.
2: So oh, I think uh, they swapped out uh, uh, Carrie
4: Kane from I can't even remember who Carrie Kane is. So, so, so it's a it's this is a new character. Carla oh. Kane okay. is a a new character, but her name is based on Cassandra Kane oh, and yeah. Kelly uh, Carrie Kelly from uh, The Dark Knight that Returns. Okay, and that's the, who I was thinking yeah and the reason why they did this was that because Bruce Wayne had been traveling the country, i mean the world for twenty years. Mm-hmm. It didn't make sense that he had three orphans from from Gotham. yeah, it made more sense to make them international, make them you know different genders.' Sure. It, it yeah. a big story i I honestly think this is an improvement I do too, I do too. The other thing that really sort of—it's just a minor change, but I think it was an improvement. Spoilers: is that in the 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 book, um, Ollie is killed by um, poison ivy, mm-hmm. and then Batman destroys poison ivy by taking a burning log from the fireplace and burning her. Yeah. In this version, Oliver Queen gets to use a hand grenade, take him and her out. So you know, he kind of died like a wimp in was the book, but he went out as a badass in the <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well, knowing Oliver, yes.
3: <laughs> was Oliver, okay, also, <laughs> just a quick question. Was Oliver always um, a Knights Templar, or is this just for this story?
4: So, this is for, as far as I know from for just this. And, yeah. and, and one of the things is that the book does go a little bit more backlog. that mm-hmm. he takes this on because his father and Wayne and Kavopat and one other guy basically make the deal with yogg mm-hmm. Yeah. So when he finds out about it, he turns to St. Sebastian in an attempt to try to stop yogg returning. return.
3: Mm -hmm. Oh, they did not give that enough of that history other than the fact that we made Oliver like quite a few hundred years old or something like that yeah which I also thought that was interesting too and there were so many like cool nods I mean like even okay so the guy who Langley is that his name is Langstrom Langstrom. no who was the one one. that was the one that was frozen Langstrom that's Langstrom, okay. Langstrom, I thought he was really interesting. As a, um, was that Doctor Freeze or Mister Freeze?
2: In in the old comic books, uh, that's Man Bat.
3: Oh, okay, so Langstrom was the guy is who was Man frozen. Like that was the corpse that was talking.
2: Yeah. That wasn't. Yeah. Langstrom. Uh, when 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 uh, Bruce shows up at his manor and there's the corpse.
3: No 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 no, the one that was the um that was the, actually the, like the, the, the zombie. In. What's that?
4: The the guy with no eyes.
3: Yes, yes. Who is that?
4: I thought they were both Langstroms but
3: No, Langstrom had um had was voiced by like um uh. What's his name? By um <gasps> Jeffrey Combs. He was Langstrom. Cobblepot, then um, there was somebody else—not Lucius Fox, not Cobblepot. Professor Manford. Hmm, I can't remember. guys. Yeah, Dang. Okay. Dang. Yeah. Anyways, so the character that the guy they brought back from the ice that wasn't Cobblepot was—was that Langstrom?
4: I'm looking up the names right My now.
3: My brain's
2: broken right now. I'm like, I don't remember. I just...
3: <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I got a little no, no. lost. Like I said, the story confused me because I kept being like, I kept wanting to assign them their character roles.
2: Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And like, names are changed and uh, positions are switched around and stuff. Yeah.
3: It's like, like I love Barbara time, Gordon as like, is like oh. the Oracle.
2: Yeah. Fucking
3: rad. Rad. Oh, yeah. Like, that was a cool idea. Um, I really liked, um, it was a cool idea to use. Um, well, Ra's al Ghul and like Talia didn't really seem much different from the normal selves. That's their kind of normal shtick. Yeah, that's their uh, standard.
4: And, and the book makes it much more clear that Ra's al Ghul is al Hazarad.
3: Oh, see, yeah. And I felt really bad for how Harvey Dent, like, the, he the, he just got it, like, bad on that one. Like, yeah. oh, on touch. And the in
2: uh, Okay, so um, in the comic book, the uh, character who is frozen was named Grendon.
3: Uh, Grendon.
2: Yeah. But I don't know, I can't...
4: Yeah, yeah, Gre- Gre- you're right. Gre- so Grendon is the... Grendon is the... Uh, um. Mr. Freeze. He's Mr. Standing. Freeze. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just making sure, because I thought that would have been really dumb for him not to be, considering he was a Frozen character, and I was like, this has got to be, and he has Freeze powers.
2: Yeah. Yes.
3: So he had to be. Only made sense. Okay. Thank you for for verifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm the- telling you, that's why I got so upset with this movie. The first, second time I tried to watch it, I was like, why is everybody acting weird and understand. Yeah, And and so
4: this is one of the first of the Elseworlds series. Is it? Sure. It's not the first. The first is Gotham by Gaslight.
3: Oh, okay, okay.
4: But it's one of the first. Mm -hmm. And I first came across the books when it was still a three-parter.
2: Yeah, same, Um, same. I bought them when they were coming out.
4: Yeah, and and I found them a couple years later at a a comic uh, bookstore in, in Ventura. And they only had the last two. So it wasn't until like 2 or 3 years ago that I read the first chapter when they when they finally did publish it as a uh, uh, a trade paperback.
2: I I used to go to uh, my comic book store and I'd pick up my comics and I would walk over to a sports bar called the Sports Page and I would have a massive hamburger like the type of hamburger that comes with like egg and cheese and bacon and ham and two patties and you know it's it's like Two pounds of beef and then, like, fries and onion rings and, like, eat all of that slowly while I read comic books, like, once a month. And the doom that came to Gotham is, like, my favorite period of time, like, my just, like... I love just eating a massive hamburger, drinking a couple of beers, and just reading stuff and people would be like, oh, what you doing reading comic books? It'd be like, Fuck off, I'm reading comic books. <laughs> Don't make me so, get off this my is how bar school.
3: Honestly, I um, because I'm like I said, I'm not as incredibly knowledgeable about Batman either. Um, yeah, I'm getting there. Batman has got a lot of crossovers, it seems like. Beyond that, yeah. Um, the the Art Asylum book, like the Arkham Asylum book that like was drawn by Dave McCain. Um I love that from who so did the, the art from uh, Batman comics.
2: Yeah, I love that book so much.
3: That was the that was I, essentially that's how Batman got me. Yeah. Batman was mm-hmm. like, Oh, Gretchen, you like Dave McCain's artwork and you like spookiness? All right, here you go. Yeah. That was when I was like, Oh, well, Batman's Brad.
2: Yeah. I've been a fan of Batman since uh, watching the Batman 66 uh, TV series every Sunday on Channel 2 in Portland. And then uh-huh. Channel 6 Saturday mornings had Super Friends. So I would watch the crap out of that. But like, I've always thought Batman was really cool.
3: I just like, I mean, what can I say? I'm dark disposition. I like the spookier stuff. So I think that's what draws me in. Like anytime Batman would show up in like um, Sandman comics and things Mm -hmm. like that, I always Mm -hmm. found that really interesting and neat. But um, beyond that, like the the new 52s, that stuff, like there was a lot of dark things that got introduced in those storylines. Yeah,
2: yeah. I and, was and, a
3: huge fan of the Animal Man series. I don't know if anybody read that. Oh
2: yeah, no. I, I oh my
3: god, Man, yeah. I have like PTSD from it. It was so good.
2: Yeah, yeah. We could no, totally
3: no. do an episode about that.
2: <laughs> I'm i I totally love Batman up until the point where like, in like the early seventies when Batman is less of like, a, I'm fighting aliens. I'm fighting. People who choke people with poison gas, and Batman's more like, "I'm a cop. I work with." Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, a cab includes Batman at a certain point. Yeah, so, he
3: was kind and of, kind of get roided out kind of behavior, and I yeah. just, I, that's why I kind of never got into Batman. But then you do something like this, and it's yeah, fucking beautiful. Oops. Yeah, sorry. no,
2: go. Uh, Batman is a gothic hero until he gets incorporated into like more modern things, and is like, mm. I'm.
0: I'm I'm the darkness of justice in the darkness in the right in the and night, that's where I feel like
3: it takes crime the, the new and not to be like totally derailing from the doom that came to Gotham but yeah. I feel like the new Batman movie yeah. really was a moment of like stepping back into that this is what Batman should have been
2: Sure sure Batman's a private investigator Batman is the darkness. Batman deals with superstition, and he's not out to get every criminal. He's out to get the criminals who do the most damage, but then always lets the Joker go and doesn't use guns. And, yeah, no, there's... Batman's complicated, convoluted, and your favorite Batman is the Batman you were introduced to and the Batman that follows your personal beliefs and there's so many fucking batmans out there that i feel like Uh, we all can have our own batman you can have your thin blue blind batman or you can have your rainbow batman from the 1960s it's like i have to wear a different color every night robin or they'll understand you know kind of like you, you can have your silver age batman you can have your golden age batman you can have your modern age batman you know it's it's like there's so many different variations of batman different elseworld batmans it's like seriously there is a rainbow of batmans that we are all like people who don't even think that they would like each other can come together on batman and it's it's like i feel like batman is a unifier it's it's like if everyone just like Opened up their shirts and showed their cool Batman T-shirt. I think a lot of us would get along better. Aww. Yeah.
3: You need to get that tattooed on you. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you rip open your shirt and be like, "Check it out."
2: This is that. That's actually like my thesis. It's 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 what I I nail to the church. <laughs> nice. nice. Or the comic
4: book stores. <laughs> it's completely. Your mileage may vary. Exactly. And there is no wrong answer. Kevin Conroy is the best Batman.
2: Yes. I agree. I agree. Just as Mark Hamill is the best Joker, Kevin Conroy was the best Batman. It's 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 like. Which one the, is he? That was the voice the, the of Batman for the animated series.
3: Oh yeah, he was
2: great. Yeah. No. And it's it's like they could draw him any way. You can close your eyes and imagine what Batman looks like.
3: I mean, Damn. don't get me wrong. I like the voice of the Batman in this particular episode yeah. because that's the guy from Grimm, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I really like that actor. Oh but,
2: sure, sure.
3: Yeah, it, I thought that he did a really good job of being um, that voice. But I immediately was like, wait, wait, isn't that, isn't this the dude from Grimm? Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. I always wanted Alec Baldwin to be Batman, but he got to be the Shadow, so that's awesome. Yeah.
4: <laughs> So one other thing that I really liked on uh, this version, sure, Killer Croc is a deep one. Yeah. Right. And it's in in the it's one of the things that's a little bit more laid out in the comic book because he has um, webbed hands.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, and there's things with Cobblepot that I don't feel like are laid out with like the albino <laughs> penguins from like at the mountains of madness. Yeah. And and there's there's certain things that it's like they just didn't have enough time. There's not enough movie. This would have been like a mini instead of which would have been a better idea. The comic book was made in a miniseries. I feel like this should have been made in a mini series. But hey, who knows? Twenty years down the line, it might happen. Right. Everyone remakes everything constantly.
3: I'm waiting uh, for somebody to pick up Animal Man's property and do it justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
2: definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, there's, there's so many cool DC properties out there that are kind of like not as prominent as Batman. Like, Yeah. Intrigan, like Entrigan. Uh, Entrigan is like this second, third rate uh, DC property that only gets used in like, oh, well, what if Batman and Hellboy met up? We need someone to be. Yeah. The-. And it's like.
3: He always he- gets posed with Zatanna too, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But it's it's like I don't know, Entrigan. I feel is like could be used in the same way Hellboy is used.
3: Yeah, I do like the way they used him in this particular movie, though, because like when she brings out the salamander, um, and they kind of know each other. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool that they were both like kind of um, like Lovecraftian deities that kind of knew each other. Yeah. Ooh, let's cage match. (laughs) 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 Woo, brother.
4: Yeah. And, And that, and you know, Magnolia. Is unique in the fact that he does have this deep knowledge of both Lovecraft, but also of, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the Batman, the Batman family, the Bat mythos, if you
2: would. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like to think of it as the Bat family, but yeah, I like the Bat mythos also. But yeah, no, no, it's like Migiola, like who is better to do these two things? The only other thing I could think of would be like. I don't know, Hellboy, or, like, if Migyola did something, like, in the Marvel universe, I think the best thing that would work, um, because Marvel isn't really like this, but I I feel like if Migyola did something like this, it would work out really well for, like, um, Daredevil. And, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like Daredevil as a... uh, marvel character who lives in like a lovecraftian world like you know have daredevil live in red hook yeah you know yeah but anyway
3: i don't need marvel to do it i'm kind of done with marvel's franchises Yeah, i mean no, you know no. what dc should do in my opinion if i was if i ran the world of dc i would be like all right so obviously the properties that everybody's familiar with is not working so yep. let's do justice league dark or like you know doing Constantine stuff, and people are familiar enough with that that we could just run with it.
2: Yeah, no, and no, it's it's the Marvel prop, uh, the DC properties that are working are the ones that people are less familiar with. With like, yeah, uh, Peacemaker did pretty damn well. Oh my I gosh,
3: and that was hysterical, and it was so smart and so fun to watch. I yeah, loved it. it.
2: No, no, no! It was very kind of a uh, Rosencrantz and Gildestern kind of thing of Absolutely. like we have the main heroes doing stuff, but who does the stuff in the background? And I love that kind of thing.
3: That's what they should be doing is like focusing on those kinds of markets because honestly, like, yeah. I, if I if we have one more reboot of the Batman, I'm gonna <laughs> lose my mind.
2: I would I would love to see a show about the Robins or like the yes! Bat Family and what they have to do but to not- like.
3: Young. And like have stuff.
2: Batman like show up at the end of the episode, at the beginning of the episode, being like, uh, I need my back sewn up again, or like, uh, I need some protein drinks, or you know.
3: Or like I don't want to see and I don't want to see like um I don't need to see Teen Titans again. Like, nope. I'm good. Let's go. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> I I, I I'm like, so mean. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, 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 no. I have to say it's 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 like the other shows that are from dc it's the doom patrol that i like it's so good yeah it's 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 the it's it's a peacemaker it's stuff like that that i care about it's uh harley quinn and poison ivy's show that i'm like oh it's so cute
3: too yeah Yeah. you guys seriously not to be totally like we said i've totally derailed this um episode sorry Nah,
2: not really i mean this is where i was gonna go (laughs)
3: <laughs> dc be smart dc be smart
2: and DCB smart by making this a comic book and then a movie mm-hmm. and we don't want to spoil shit for people so we're not going too deep into it just know that it's lovecraftian know that it's batman and love it it's it's really good and i highly recommend you find the original comic books the trade paperback um Dave, I know you agree with me on both parts.
4: (laughs) Yes, and and, uh, you know what I'm going to say. Which, if what done right, yeah, could be done with a very uh, Lovecraftian flavor. Mm -hmm. Is Doctor Fate? Oh, absolutely,
3: definitely, absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I feel like Doom Patrol already has like Lovecraftian elements to
3: it. Oh gosh, I mean, there's a street named Danny, right?
2: Yeah yeah and i feel like peace uh, peacekeeper has like lovecraftian elements it's like you know you alien invasion but anyway
3: yeah um,
2: yeah watch peacemaker um i'm tr- uh, peace peacekeeper peacemaker uh my brain's not working but like i enjoyed like the last suicide squad movie which was like starro which is like one of the lovecraftian yes. lovecraftian things in dc <laughs> And it's just like, I like this kind of like, yeah, no, like um, the movies that I've enjoyed have been kind of like darker Batman movies where Batman's less of a cop and more of an occult detective. I love the Dark Justice League stuff that's come out. There's, there's, there's a lot of good stuff that DC's been doing. But I feel like DC also at the same time put so much stuff out to appeal to so many people that at some point in time it's going to hit the right people. It's like... I I haven't seen a Justice League movie. I haven't seen any of the Shazam movies. I haven't seen a modern Superman or Batman movie since, like, uh, the one that had the Joker in it and the other one that had the Joker in it.
3: Oh, yeah, then you should see the newest one. It's pretty good with Robert Patterson. He does a great job. Okay,
2: all right. Uh, Oh, the one that's called The Batman?
3: Yeah, that one's really, really good.
2: Okay, I've been waiting for someone to say that one's really good, like someone with an opinion that I trust, not not a <laughs> media critic, but someone who I know likes spooky stuff in the same way I like spooky stuff.
3: Yeah, it does take it, it takes it to a level that's intense and um, a little like off-putting at the very beginning of the movie, there's a, a really intense scene and I remember seeing in the theater and there's a small kid in front of me and I'm all, oh, this poor kid. <laughs> just what you just witnessed with a carpet edger i'm so sorry
2: yikes
3: (laughs) yeah so enjoy it's pretty intense okay
2: and something else that i want to put out there if we're talking about batman horror and dc is i'm not sure if you two are familiar with the concept of three jokers Mm -mm. kind of yes but dc has like done one of my favorite things with the joker And it explains that there are actually three Jokers. Oh. There's a comedian, there's a criminal, and there's a clown. Huh. And the criminal is the one, like, Jack Nicholson. Uh, He's the one who's, um, what's his face? That has, like, stuff tattooed on his face in the grill. That's that's all, like, kind of that Joker. That's Jared Leto? yeah the Jared Leto Joker and then you have like kind of like the ha 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 I am here to be an asshole and fuck stuff up and I'll put white paint over my mustache it's the Cesar Romero <laughs> Joker and then you have this like person who's like a like honestly just a criminal just like you know has a military background knows how to use guns knows how to use explosives and it's like, this is like the Heath Ledger Joker. And it's like, there are three Jokers and Harley Quinn is in love with one of them, works with one of them and refuses a third one. And that mm. she won't work with the Heath Ledger Joker. She'll work alongside of the clown like Joker, but she's in love with uh, the, 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 uh, i am getting them all mixed up the 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 criminal joker Mm. um but yeah it's 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 various theories and stuff that i've read and like uh actual comic strip uh comic book stuff but yeah it's something i find fascinating and we're bringing it up right now i'm bringing it up right now because we're talking about batman which we never get to talk about on the show (laughs) (laughs) So all of our Batman stuff is coming out, except for Dave, who's very focused on the show. That's because I'm Focus Man. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's uh, Taskmaster, Dave. Oh, okay. I was going to say it was Alfred. Alfred, okay. okay.
3: Yeah, he's the Alfred.
2: All right. Well, I don't know who that makes us.
3: (laughs) I'm Constantine. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm a snapper, <laughs> snapper Jones. What's that guy's name? I don't know. A, a, a minor character in the Justice. Talk about two I
3: don't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: I would say Batmite. Yeah, that's 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 a little bit closer to me. Batmite. I love Batmite so much. Anyway. Ah, little known fact, Maxwell Brooks, uh, creator of uh, one of Dave's favorite books, uh, World War Z, was the voice of Batmite. Oh, I did
4: not know that. Mel Brooks is his father, by the way.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and Bancroft is his mother. But he uh, did a few voices on uh, Batman Brave and the Bold and did some voices on... Uh, Batman Beyond. Uh, he was the voice of Terry's friend when uh, Terry's friend dates a robot. Like, oh, okay.
3: Yeah.
2: Which, Terry's- again, an underrated show. Yeah, yeah, definitely honest, an underrated show. Underrated. Which has an amazing uh, uh, thing at the doorstep uh, episode, which yes. I was I was talking to a bunch of people about. And they weren't aware that that was a thing on the doorstep—that that there was a Batman Beyond episode that involved Raja Ghoul and Thing on the doorstep—and they're like, "I haven't seen that episode, but you told me that it's Thing on the doorstep," and and I'm like, "Yeah, but it's Raja Ghoul, Talia Ghoul, and Bruce
4: Wayne," and then everyone went, "Ooh!" <laughs> because of- which is another tie-in is the. Uh- Raja Ghul is Abdul Hazarad theory.
0: Yes,
2: mm. yeah, and uh, I always get those those two mixed up, but yeah, fun She's stuff. Just Rasputin, see them both in the room geez. at
4: the same time, either. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You never see them in the same room. Yeah, you never see Rasputin, uh, Raja Ghul, and Abdul Red in the same room at the same time. Good point, Gretchen.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I think. I think that's, that's a good time to say, I think we're done with this show. Yeah,
3: as we totally are away from uh, the doom that came to Gotham. Yeah, yeah. Which I've had to stop myself from saying Sarnath like a thousand times.
2: Oh my goodness. When I was typing up stuff today, I kept typing in Sarnath. And yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, everyone, thank you for joining us. And Gretchen, Dave, thank you for joining me to talk about Batman yeah. and Hounds of Tindalos and everything else that we've talked about. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see you all next week.
4: Oh yeah. You'll
2: hear our voices and and, and you'll see our names on the screen of your podcatcher. Find us anywhere you find podcasts. Join us on Facebook. Join us on Instagram. Hey Gretchen, what's our Instagram
3: account? Uh PGT <laughs> People
2: underscore dot com, I believe. Is that it?
3: Something like that. I think okay. hang on. I'm still I'm still working out the kinks on learning how to navigate two Instagram accounts on the same app. Gotcha. So if you see that coming up, just just you know we'll we'll I'll go follow our personal instagrams and we all have links to the podcast
2: oh yeah yeah look for, look for us in the show notes yes all right thank you again everyone and we will see you in the future because and future
4: and where you're going to spend the
2: rest of your life Yep. <laughs> stay <laughs> squiggly and keep it weird bye bye, bye. That was a good episode! Yeah, that was a lot of fun. All right. Well, I had a lot of fun talking about Batman with you two. Oh my gosh,
3: yes. Now I'm like, I have to read more Batman.
2: Oh yeah, well... I I have like... Literally, probably about... 30 pounds of Batman comics around here somewhere.
3: Oh wow.
2: (laughs) Mostly in trade paperbacks and whatnot. But yeah. Uh... One of my favorite ones that I have is, like, it, I think it's, like, Batman Crisis or something like that. It's, like, natural disasters all over Gotham, and, like, Gotham's been broken up into, like, literal gangs. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, declared a disaster area, and, like, the United States government is almost, like, maybe we should just, like, let Gotham eat itself. Oh, Wow. And, like, Batman's not around for a big chunk of it. And yeah. I think it's called Crisis. I can't remember. Anyway.
3: <laughs> the new Batman has that vibe. I th- I really think you should check it out if you get the opportunity. Good
2: deal. Good deal. I, yeah, no, no,
3: I definitely should.
2: All right. I need to go eat dinner. You two yeah, have Yeah, I gotta a good go night. finish making I'll, dinner. I'll, I'll, I'll check this out in the near future. And, and, I'll, and I'll, get this
4: out to you. I'll get the out to you either uh, tonight or tomorrow.
2: Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. You guys have a good weekend. I will talk to you in the future. And yeah. All
4: right. Take care. All right. Have All a right. good weekend. You too. Bye, guys. All right. Bye.